0: Okay, we are live in five. Both the podcast and he is operations officer at High Level Games. Josh, welcome to the show. How are you today?
1: Hey, I'm doing really well. I, I'm really happy to be here. Very excited.
0: I'm really happy about uh, having you on the show, and we're going to be talking about uh, how you can use myth and mage. And I'm, I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. But before we do, I just want to mention, I've been reading Laird Barron's The Imago, and it's a collection of short horror stories. And I got turned on to him a couple years ago, and uh, he had another collection called The Beautiful Thing That Awaits Us All. And at the time, I was reading a lot of Thomas Ligotti, or Ligeti, I don't know how you pronounce it exactly. And uh, I like Ligotti. His stuff is fantastic, but it's very dry and clinical. And Laird Barron's stuff is much more earthy and and pulpy. Uh, But his short stories have been really creeping me out. And I was quoting from the book every five minutes to my girlfriend, and thank goodness she was laughing and not shooting me looks of horror and having uh, second thoughts about our relationship. Um, But it's given me a lot of ideas. I'm going to run in a couple months, and Chris Zach from the Twin Cities After Dark podcast. What he likes to do is emphasize the horror and creepiness when magic appears in his games, and I think I'm going to use that. Uh, The other thing I want to talk about, and maybe you can jump in on this, uh, Josh, but very quickly, um, there is the Storyteller's Vault, and uh, coming to the Storyteller's Vault uh, in August, there will be um, game-related material for Maid's Ascension. And basically what it is, it's a self-publishing service for tabletop RPGs, uh, Mind's Eye Theater and LARP material and uh, fiction set in um, any mage, the Ascension edition. And what happens is that content creators can set the price of the material that they publish and receive 50% of the revenue, which is fantastic. And you can access templates and art packs that are uh, that produced to help content creators make work but look as professional as any of the official products from um, set in that area of a uh, mage uh, including the Sorcerer's Cassade in Mage Dark Ages. And you can find it at the storytellersvault.com. And you mentioned it on your last podcast, I believe.
1: I did. I think I actually was talking about werewolves uh, because werewolf had just opened on my last podcast. And um, I think you mentioned this, but for folks that don't know, I run werewolf the podcast, and which is talking about werewolf the apocalypse. Um, and mage is coming out. I'm. I, I'm... Very excited about it coming out for lots of reasons, Um, but I think the most exciting element for me is the ability to uh, look at things like Sorcerer's Crusade and Dark Ages Mage and either update them to the M20 rules or maybe bring elements of the rule system from Dark Ages Mage into a modern setting and do some fun um, transitionary things like that because yes you're going to be able to do stuff for the older settings themselves but also some 20th anniversary updates for any of those older settings so there's going to be a lot of options there
0: yeah i cannot wait uh but you mentioned now where um i'm always curious uh i i got into world of darkness through some friends who like to play vampire the masquerade and vampires that's not really my genre but i quickly got class and from there i learned about werewolf so what is about uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse that is piqued your curiosity? What is it th- that you love so much about that particular game?
1: Sure, for me, it's the mix of spirituality and um, aggression. It's a game that's inherently about the question of, what do we do when we are anger-filled creatures in a society, in a world that is trying to Undermine us at all levels, either undermine our spiritual connection to the universe or undermine our um, our maybe righteous anger would be a good term for it. But at the same time, whenever anger is is a factor, you have to be able to modulate it and accept that you can't just attack everything that is uh, that is bad in the universe. And that's the dichotomy of werewolf for me is that dichotomy of spirituality and the world and anger and control um so for me inherently that, those are the things that i'm interested in when i'm running a, a werewolf the apocalypse game um and it's world spanning local and it plays on lots of other different elements within that but those are the overarching things for me
0: now i find this interesting because if i was a young man i would flock to this game because it seems very punk rock you know i was a very angry young man raising my fist against the system but you know now i'm a middle-aged man and you know i i get along you know i'm still outraged but you know i'm not quite the angry man i used to be and you're a fellow middle-aged man so how has the game changed for you as you've gotten older at least yeah, the way you good, approach it or run the games
1: it's a good point i think um i think i lean more on the spiritual elements now or at least on the the consequences of righteous fury these days um, as much as I want to encourage people to pick up and and resist and, and fight the systems that are that are destroying the world and are oppressing us I think that's a valuable thing of the world of darkness what it allows us to do what it helps teach people to do um, so I, I'm not running away from that by by any means getting older but definitely saying yes, um We can look at these things and be more responsible to ourselves and to the people that we're responsible for as well. so like I like to play a lot with kinfolk now, like what does it mean if you have a family and you're a werewolf? how do you how do you balance family life and this war that you're involved in? Um, I, I was a soldier, I was in the army, I got deployed, so I think that's a very like topical question to ask people. So how
0: long have you been playing werewolf?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think <laughs> I th- ninety seven was when I started with Vampire LARP, and I'm mm, I'm about ninety eight percent sure I played my first werewolf game in ninety eight or ninety nine, but it could have been two thousand at the very latest.
0: And so, um, this was your introduction to role playing games specifically, or were you playing other role playing games before?
1: So I actually uh, played a very small amount of games like Robotech and maybe a little bit of D and D, and I say maybe just because I can't remember it very clearly, but only a very little bit. Um, Vampire LARP was the first real like dive into role playing games for me. I did it regularly for a long time, um, and then all of the other tabletop games from there were kind of a uh, a natural progression for me. From you know, I was into acting and theater and improv larp and then to the table which is kind of a backwards way for a lot of people
0: so based on what i know of you and to the community because i've been away from role-playing games for several decades but it seems to me that role-playing games and and working with high-level games this is like a second job for you so how did you get so deeply steeped in role-playing games to the fact to the point where it really is a second uh, job for you
1: yeah that's a good question and honestly it's not as long that i've been at this level uh, as as it might look um i got i finished grad school in um, may of 2016 and i that semester had realized i didn't want to do what i was planning to do when i grew up anymore and i wanted to take my interest in peace building and conflict resolution and my longtime interest in role-playing games and my like very surface level involvement in the larger RPG community and say, okay, what can I do to merge these two ideas? Um, And I started writing for high-level games um, as part of that, got picked up as an editor for them, then became the blog manager, and then became COO um, within the last two years. So everything that I've kind of done within role playing games has been much more recent than I think people might realize. But I've really like, you're absolutely right. It's at least a second job, if not the equivalent of like a second and third job.
0: (laughs) uh, Just last week, or maybe the week before, you were mentioned on the Onyx Pathcast in recognition for all the fantastic freelance work that you've been doing. And also, uh, you mentioned that you're the CEO at High Level Games. What exactly are your duties responsibilities for High Level Games?
1: Sure, uh, that's a good question. So um, I really, one thing, I really appreciate the folks at Onyx Path, um, Matthew, um, Dixie, and, um, and Eddie. I really appreciate that they've said good things about me on the Onyx Pathcast, so I just want to go on air and say that. Um, uh, at High Level Games, my role now is mostly in product development and community, uh, community event um, development. So we're running a convention in Atlantic City in October um that's hlgcon.com for anyone that wants to go check it out um it's october 12th through the 14th um but then from there what i do a lot of is we have been producing a lot of products for the storyteller's vault we produce um some other rpg adventures and i'm the person that long Gaze level kind of oversees a lot of that. And then I've been also doing a lot of our developing. So I develop our specific products. I do some writing. I hire writers. Um, I work with the blog manager. I work with our podcast affiliate manager. And uh, we do all of all kinds of things. So I'm kind of like oversight on all of those, working with the CEO to, to make good decisions, to build some revenue, um, and do things like that.
0: All right. Very good. Now, uh, before we get into the meat of our topic, which is Myth and Mage, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Werewolf the podcast. Uh, tell the listeners a little bit about what your show is about, because it seems to me you're just I mean, I'll tell what I think it's about. and What I've seen is you're going back and looking at the, the material and reviewing it, um, but you also have your own particular spin. So you take it from there.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a, a good segue. So. I stole the idea um, rather blatantly from um, from the folks that do 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade of doing a retrospective podcast. And they go they went back to the very beginning of Vampire and said, yeah, these are new books, or when these were new books, we're going to read them as if they were just coming out. And so once a week, they were going through and, and reviewing a book. And I was like, I want to do that for Werewolf. It's a game that I love. Um, I haven't read all of the early books. So for me, it was a good, like refresher and a good like look back at the beginning. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm going back through every single book from date of publication and I'm doing a review. And in a lot of ways I'm I'm cutting it up and saying, okay, these are the things that I would change. If I was a developer uh, looking at Werewolf 5th edition maybe, these are the things that I would I would look to alter. Um, I point out problematic elements um, from a social perspective when I see them. But really, I, I'm trying to help people decide if they if they should go back and learn something from these older books because I think there's some really valuable stuff in there. If you want to run uh, a Werewolf Chronicle today, so recently I'm doing some of the try books, some of the first edition try books, and I'm giving storyteller suggestions for running um chronicles focused around those specific tribes uh, and i've been doing like here's three story hooks and story hooks and chronicle things are are a big thing that i do for our um, storytellers vault product. so it's just an outgrowth of that like here are some suggestions to run different games uh, using these tribes
0: so let me pose a question to you because you're revisiting this material you're reading material that what have you learned from Going back to
1: the archives. Oh, oh, that's a good question. I think um, the thing that I learned that meant the most, because the thing that I learned that didn't mean anything, really, in the long scheme of things, was that Renown was a totally different numbering system back in first edition, but that's really irrelevant. The thing that meant something, I think, is that Werewolf was originally about, about the local and about the relationships between Acts and their specific Sept and the Sept's relationships with the greater nation, um, which was not how the game becomes in second edition and revised, and even in first edition, really. It goes quickly to the, the macro world-scale war, um, and it's interesting to go back to that feeling and say, what does, it, what does it mean when the local is really important and all of these big things in the meta plot are going on? Um it's just interesting to kind of dissect that a little bit.
0: All right. Now let's get into myth and mage. Now I went on Facebook oh maybe four months ago at this point <laughs> and said, Does anyone have any ideas? And you quickly suggested talking about myth and mage. So
1: Yeah. Um the reason I thought this would be a good topic for the show was that on some level i think all of mage is about respecting the reality of myth both within our day-to-day lives and within the stories that we tell and that mage is coming at the concept of myth from a different perspective than um than other materials that that work with myth or that touch on myth. and when i'm talking about myth i'm talking about Um, stories that speak specifically to humanity's um, existence on a a macro level, but from traditional stories generally. So, um, you know, with Joseph Campbell, for example, talks about um, the myth cycle um, and the hero's journey. And those are are one level of myth that we can touch on. But Mage is also talking about modern myth uh, and what what the myths of science are and what the myths of magic are. Um, so I could pontificate maybe on that a little bit, but I also thought this was a, a pertinent topic because um, "Gods and and Monsters" um, is a book that's coming out, and I had uh, just done a little bit of work on that uh, on that book. So I thought it would be relevant to things to to touch on.
0: All right, let's dig into it. I want to hear what you have to. And the, the talk about modern mythology and mage is also very fascinating to me, because um, as we we're talking, you know, I was thinking, well, okay, mage—it's all about the ascension. It's always, uh, at least in 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 the way we look at magic in the past, it was alchemical in a lot of ways, of transmuting lead into gold, and it was actually in a spiritual level as well—not just in base lead, base gold, but uh, ascension, uh, uh, transcendence. Uh, but let's. Do you want to start with talking about modern mythology or do you want to talk about how it relates to gods and monsters so i'm going to let you lead the show
1: oh okay let's talk about modern mythology um and i i i appreciate the the reference that you just made to the uh the alchemical transition and how that uh, uh, applies to ascension and the spiritual growth but i think what we sometimes forget from a modern perspective is that science is based in the same philosophies that al- alchemy is based on, and that much of what we do in science today is uh, is trying to explain the purpose of the universe, but not necessarily to explain the why of the universe. And Mage the Ascension as a game is ultimately about asking the question of why the universe rather than how the universe you know the how of the universe is your paradigm but but when we're talking about the why and when we're seeking the why we've got to look at everything that that kind of has progressed throughout history as as a grand myth and if we if specifically i'm thinking about the transition um in the Elizabethan era from looking at at science as a method of explaining God's vision of the world and in transitioning that into explaining how the world works mechanically, that's a huge like paradigmatic mythic shift from saying the world works because of this why, but now we understand just the mechanical elements of the world, but we're, we're losing the why and so we're in the modern world trying to recreate myths about why. You know, we, we do this with superheroes. We do this with, um, with kind of social media. We do this with games, if you ask me. I think role-playing games are a central way of, of teaching people to ask the question of, of why the universe has a purpose and what our purpose within that universe is. Um, and I think when we tell stories we are creating modern reflections of of older myths as, a, as an exercise of helping get us to the why.
0: You know, I'm, I've been reading this book, and it's called Learning to Die in the Anthropocene. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've
1: heard of it, but I haven't read it yet. OK.
0: OK, so um, very briefly, uh, the guy who wrote it, um, his name does not come to mind very easily, but, uh, he was a soldier in the Iraq war and he would go and he w- he was freaking out. Cause he's like, I could die at any minute now. Mm-hmm. And, um, he eventually started imagining his death. He like, all right, what would happen if I was attacked by dogs? Uh, what if I was killed in explosion? He would just play out these scenarios. And when he was done with the scenarios, like, all right, I'm acquainted with this idea. Now I'm familiar with it. And now I can go fulfill my duties without freaking out. He just accepted. It was sort of a, 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 a Buddhist way of accepting his death. And Mm -hmm. so he's looking at the Anthropocene now and he's like, oh, uh, we're screwed. You know, even if we stop driving all the cars now, uh, we're screwed. And our civilization is going to die. Humans are not going to die as a species, but the civilization that we have right now, that's going away. Now you could choose to believe that or not, but one of the things that he does in this look, we have these traditions, we have these myths that go back thousands of years have a lot to teach us and how we can go forward into this new world that's coming at us and i don't really know where i'm going with this yes it's the these that are still with us and that still inform the way we live our lives and can also be applied to mage and i I guess i'm just making a general statement i'm I'm not really going anywhere in particular with this but what but what you're talking about that's what came to mind
1: yeah i think and i think that's essentially true and if we look at, if we look at myth as speaking to eternal human truth, and I think myth does that, if we allow it to do that, then then we can consistently at least maybe not fall back on it, but reevaluate it. You know, every time I read the Norse myths, you can read them thousands of different ways, um, and I generally choose to read them from a positive, positive positivist standpoint. A lot of people think they're nihilistic or view them as as negative. And I think if you look at them from the, the view that the Norse people viewed them from, they're telling a story about a universe, a cyclical universe, where they recognize that the decisions and the relationships that are being made, that have been made, that will continue to be made, are always important and they are essential to the outcomes that, um, that we see from our actions. And I think that's a really mage sort of thought process in that mage says, when you tilt the universe one way, it reacts and that doesn't just impact you, that impacts everybody else within reality. And I recently uh, ran a game where the essential question was what happens when uh, a person is is out of time and yet their friends are trying to save them from falling into ultimate corruption and destroying all of the universe because they've lost that connection to those friends initially and that's the sort of story i think when we look at myth and look at the cycles of myth and look at the purposes of myth myth, we can pull into our mage chronicles
0: that is heady stuff how did that turn out or is it still unfolding uh
1: the game was amazing uh we we ran it for a little over a year and a half it ended not so long ago a little while ago now actually but um the last session i set up um and uh, the game was called uh friends of courage and we use Secret Agent John Courage um, as the, the character out of time. And um, I had the characters all play tradition mages who had befriended him at some point within his timeline and their timeline. And the last scene I had set up, and I had assumed they would fight him because he had been corrupted finally, um, or had always been corrupted. And instead, they reached out and they said, John we love you we want you to realize that we love you and we don't care what's going on what has gone on what has always gone on we want to be your friends and we they ended up hugging him and i was like you know what i thought this was going to end up in a lot of like dice rolling and a combat and the fact that you guys went there means so much more to me and i was like that is a great way to to bring this chronicle together and that's like a brief overview of the, of all the different emotional sorts of states we were in, but it was definitely a really awesome ending.
0: Oh my God. That's fantastic.
1: I want to touch upon something you
0: said about the Norse mythology and how people say it's uh, nihilistic and I, I can certainly see that uh, I'm actually a big friend of Wagner and, and Norse mythology has been part of my life since I was a baby. I mean, you know, you, you have uh, a night at the opera with Bugs Bunny and Mm -hmm. i remember reading thor comics and i don't know if you ever read thor as a young man
1: i didn't but i uh i um i'm uh religiously i'm a heathen so we follow um a modern revivalist religion focused on on norse um, mythology and norse religion so um and interestingly enough i got into thor comics as an adult after being a heathen for a while so i do enjoy them quite a bit
0: Okay, well, during the '80s, uh, Roy Thomas—he was the writer at the time—and he started incorporating uh, storylines from uh, Wagner's Ring Cycle, and mm-hmm. the comic just went off the rails. I mean, in a great way. But as a young man, I was like 13. I'm like, what? What's going on? It's got very different. And that's when I started getting knee deep in this stuff. And there is the cyclical nature, but also uh, a lot of the aspects of Norse them- mythology is very. I don't know where to put it brutal, I guess. And mm-hmm. but I look at the way as I look at fairy tales, where they're teaching a very concentrated moral message and to our modern sensibilities. I think it creeps people out, uh, mm-hmm. but I think that's a shame because now we've sandpapered over the stuff and glossed over the stuff and made it all nice and nice. Loses all the impact of what those lessons were trying to tell us. And they had to North mythology, which is why I think when people come to it, they're like, this is strange and wild, but it, it evokes a very strong reaction amongst people.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think if you look at the creation myth, the Norse creation myth, um, and these three gods end up dismembering a giant and creating the world from his from his remains, but that speaks to a much older myth within Indo-European cultures of sacrifice being, like the first sacrifice being incredibly important to the universe existing. And if you, you look at it from that perspective, you realize that, that life could be about being thankful and responsible with the sacrifice that someone has had to make to have existence be occurring. And I think that really speaks strongly to the idea of when you're a parent and I have a young daughter that you sacrifice a lot for your children And you want them to at least you don't want them to like fawn over you in appreciation, but you want them to recognize that you've worked really hard so that they can be in the best situation possible. Um, And I think that ultimately that sort of sacrifice myth is about loving the world and loving and managing it well because of the sacrifices that have had to have been made to get us there.
0: Now, see what I get all that, and I appreciate everything you I am a newly minted father myself right now. Uh Congrats. but one of the things I thank you very much. And also I I try and do that with my kids as well. You know, I don't want to like beat them with that and say, hey, appreciate me for all the sacrifices I'm making, but I also make them aware that, hey, you know, I'll have in part I I'm made possible. Um but the other thing I like about North Mythology and Fairy Tales is it does acknowledge that, yes, love the world, but also the world can be a, a dangerous place and a brutal place, and you have to stay on your toes. Um, but I'm gonna move on. I'm sorry, I just wanted to get that in.
1: Um, <laughs> but you sure.
0: were talking <laughs> but you were talking earlier about the uh, the last game you ran, and um, this is one of the topics that you wanted to uh, talk about in Myth and Mage, about the hero's journey. And I'm very curious about this is mage characters can go on a hero's journey in a a group game so let's talk about that because i'm really curious how to pull that off
1: yeah it's hard because the way campbell writes the hero's journey is it's really individual um and specifically um, in the power of myth which is an interview with him and bill moyers um they talk about star wars so let's let's use star wars as a framework for what looks like an individual's hero's journey but i think we can easily see how we, you can make it into a group effort by following that as um as a set of parameters does that make sense
0: no you know even as you just suggested the metaphor of star wars i'm like oh i get where you're coming from but run with it do it
1: yeah okay um so you can you can see that from a storytelling perspective initially luke and we'll just stay with the original trilogy because wow we could get crazy off this topic if we let ourselves but um luke is the prototypical odysseus or the prototypical um hero beginning his hero's journey you know he has a moment of of awakening and a moment of of everything that he knows being taken from him and then he has to go he has to leave home to learn who he is and ultimately return and be changed. But along the way, he picks up all of these friends that are on their own journeys, and together they're telling a shared narrative within their individual heroes' journeys or journeys that each of them are traveling through. Um, so we look at Han Solo, and Han Solo is much further along in his life than Luke is at the beginning. He's probably, I think, I think he's about ten years older than Luke, if I um, if I remember right, or if I'm gauging it right. And so for him, he's already left home. Home doesn't mean anything to Han any longer. But he's a, a character that's bringing in a totally different perspective and skill set. And I think we, when we do that with Mage, we're letting each individual player choose where their character is within their life's journey and then we can incorporate, we can layer in different stages of the hero's journey into the specific stories that we're telling.
0: So do you have any examples you can give from the most recent game you ran?
1: Yes. Um, so for example, um, the mentor is a really important part of the Campbellian um, hero's journey. So. Um, one of my players was playing a um, a Chakravanti or a Euthanatos, and her character was a nurse that had um, had been a nurse for a long time in the UK. Um, my wife was playing her, so she was playing her as if she was um, Welsh. She had um, been in Wales, um, and. Her mentor um, was this older Indian man that had, you know, uh, inducted her into the Chakravantis' mysteries, and so he wasn't constantly there, but he was when she needed him. He had a high enough level of time and awareness of of, of um, correspondence and time to be there to provide really bad information from her perspective. But from his perspective, he was giving her just enough information for her to make her own choices and that to have impacts upon fate um, within her fate and within the fate of the universe. And I think that's very much what Obi-Wan does in the original trilogy. He's there at just the right times, even as a force ghost, to provide the information that Luke needs to make the choices that save the world.
0: All right. Well, as long as we're in Star Wars, there is a part where <laughs> Luke has to go into the cave and to the face his dark in nature. And that's also part of the uh, Kimbellian uh, hero's myth. Is that something you've also incorporated into your games?
1: It is um, not this last game so much, only because the the major NPC was he was doing that. That was his part of the of the shared story. Um, was looking in it himself and trying to figure out where the darkness was and where the light was uh, there. But I, I tend to fall back, uh, specifically in my fantasy games, on the trope of the alternate party, you know, the one that looks almost exactly like the hero's party, um, and how the characters, how the players interact with that is always something I have fun with because I think that's a really important thing to look. Look at your opposition and say, oh, if I had gone left instead of right in my life, that's where I might be.
0: Oh, that's juicy. I've never used that idea before, but I'm definitely gonna implement that in my next Chronicle.
1: It's a lot of fun. If you if you can, I definitely recommend it.
0: Okay, is there anything else about the hero's journey that you wanna discuss?
1: Um, ooh, um, maybe not about the hero's journey. Um, I think maybe we've talked that one uh, through enough for now, at least.
0: Okay, so one of the other things I have for notes here is you said that you talk about mythological creatures, concepts, Mm. and magic in the modern world.
1: Yeah, Um, and part of the reason I wanted to touch on this is because um, Gods and Monsters um, is going to be a book that that touches on those elements, and I, I can't dive into it too much, but I can speak to what Um, what's been released publicly. And that is that, um, essentially, this uh, 20th anniversary edition book is going to be looking at all of the different mythological creatures and companions and familiars and, and bygone beings that have been dropped into books throughout the history of Mage. And I think it's really powerful to look at those items and use them sparingly but strongly in your games to speak to the fact that myth cycles, that the myth cycle has changed and it has shifted and that those beings still have a place within the modern world, but what that might be is is different for them now. Um, and I'm, I'm specifically thinking about American gods and there's an ifrit in American gods, um, both the TV show and the book that, Speaks to this idea of like, if there are these beings from Arabic um, and Islamic myth that are that have souls that are able to be um, to reach salvation and to um, and to submit to God uh, to Allah at least within the Islamic worldview, but they have magic and they are beings of spirit from the earth what happens when society shifts around them that people stop stop kind of accepting their place within that universal cycle and so they still think that they are they are essential they are important but because humanity and i think this is again like a core mage theme humanity is so important to the overall story of the universe from a mage perspective that they start shifting these people out and they stop being capable of existing the way they once did and what does that mean for them what does that mean for what does that mean for stories today um so i would think it would be very interesting to bring a frost giant in. i'm gonna go into a different metaphor but bring a frost giant into a a modern mage game maybe they're in boston for some reason um and the mages have to interact with them but they don't have the power that they used to have they don't have the impact on the environment that they used to have and instead the space around them is always cold like the air conditioning is on and that's all that they have left for their power and what is what you could go a lot of different ways but i think the interesting question that i would have the the characters delve into is maybe this giant wants to have that power again do they help them do they hinder them what do they do within that space and that could touch on changeling the dreaming a little bit but i think it's interesting to look at it just from a mage perspective from that
0: i haven't read american gods in quite some time but i know there's a lot of old also new gods that appear is that correct
1: it is yeah and I, i i think that's a good point is that we are creating new mythologies today and creating you know uh, in american gods there's a media is one of the new gods and tv and media and movies and podcasts and all these things that we do they influence our paradigms they influence the way that we think the world works and what it, and does that mean they be they are effectively deified and in the mage and werewolf cosmologies they are spirits there are spirits that manifest these these things they're you know, almost um, Gnostic sort of beings that exist, um, you know, outside of the world as we know it in the Umbra, that's, that just, that has fascinating layers that people can, can dive into. So without
0: getting into specifics, does anything like that in Gods and Monsters?
1: Um, Can you ask the question again, because it cut off just at the beginning of it?
0: Sure. Without getting into specifics, because it's, I don't want to spoil anything. But do any of those themes appear in Gods and Monsters as far as uh, modern nets modern gods?
1: I believe, uh, I, I think that I can say yes to that. And um, that there's <laughs> going to be some some fun stuff that people are going to enjoy pulling apart and looking at and, and reconsidering how it fits into their, uh, their uh, mage cosmologies.
0: All right. Now, for the last topic I have here is historical mage games. Let's talk mm-hmm.
1: about that. Sure. So
0: that's the bullet point. I'm going to let you expound.
1: Sure. Um, and so I was thinking about this because I was reading at the time when I suggested a, as a show note, I was reading a lot of Dark Ages Mage and I had um, I had just put aside um, Sorcerer's Crusade. And I was super excited with the idea of of looking back in history and saying, what? how do we build these... Um, these uh, creatures, these myths into uh, historical games in a way that's a reflection of our modern lives. So uh, there, uh, there's some interesting overlap in Venice in the, the 1400s between a, a focus and an interest in necromancy and grimoire magic and the creation of money and the systems of money as we understand it today. And I mention this because it's the, uh, the period of the Sorcerer's Crusade, and the rise of the Order of Reason in the Mage um, uh, Canon does in some really creepy ways dovetail with real history. And money as a concept is something that we we're so ingrained in today that we don't really understand that it's it, on some level magic. And I think it's it's interesting to go back and, and create a, a game and say, okay, in the Sorcerer's Crusade era, era, in the Renaissance, in Venice perhaps, these guilders are getting together and they're creating the system of, of exchange and coin. And for them, it's a very physical thing, but they also are casting magic to make it take off as a concept and a concept that people will um, will internalize and become the capitalist systems that we see around us today what if that changes what if there are other influences within that how do you react to that as tradition mages um, within you know your paradigms that look at all of that and, and don't don't immediately maybe see the connections but maybe fighting against the the order of reason for all of the reasons that they might be doing so um, Maybe I'm way off on a tangent, but that's those are some of my thoughts that I had when I was uh, when I was suggesting that as a note.
0: Now, this is a part where I, I, I appreciate you coming on because I am a newbie to the game. And one of the things I like about the show is we have Adam Simpson. He's been playing Mage for like 19, 20 years. And so he comes at it as a specialist and I come at it as a generalist. And there's a lot I don't know. And I don't really know a lot about Dark Ages Mage. But okay. I think that is a fantastic idea because that's a, a seminal moment in human history. It's like, all right, we're going to take this abstract concept of money, and we're going to make that real and bring everyone along with it. It was the same thing for credit cards when they first appeared in the early '80s, late '70s. It's just like, all right, we have this plastic card now. It's not dollars. It's not coin. Little abstraction. And we have to make people trust it. And the only reason this comes to mind is I'm reading a book where they're talking about credit cards because it, it was written in the 80s. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. You know, now it's just commonplace. We don't even think about it anymore. But now that's the new reality.
1: Yeah, I re- I remember in the 90s I was a, a a big geek as a as a kid and a teen and reading about the rise of debit cards and what that might mean for society, which just seems like such a silly thing to even mention. But there were a lot of articles in, in Newsweek and Time and in all the papers about what debit cards would mean and what, uh, what chip and pin systems would mean to society. Um, and it's, uh, once, you've, once you've just acculturated to it, you don't even think about it as a thing. It's just the things you do. But at the time, it was kind of revolutionary to not be credit, to not be cash, but to still be accepted as, as currency in the end, effectively.
0: So that's why I appreciate your comments about uh, dark ages mage and uh, and the it, not really the invention money because it was there before that, but really codifying it. That that's a fantastic idea.
1: Yeah, um, and just to be clear, um, that's mostly in the Sorcerer's Crusade era dark ages happens a little bit before that there are there were two settings sorcerer's crusade was the renaissance for mage which is an amazing if you haven't read these books yet i really recommend them because they're amazing um, they're actually some of, uh, of satyrus's best work i think are the sorcerer's crusade books and then there was a separate book that came out later for dark ages mage which is set in the 1200s and that's a very dark look at Northern Europe, mostly, some of North Africa as well, um, some generally Europe, but um, they're both very interesting settings, but I think Sorcerer's Crusade and the Renaissance in the 1400s and forward is some of um, some of uh, Bru- Brucato's best work, and I would definitely recommend it to anyone that hasn't read it yet.
0: Well, like I said, I, I am sort of a noob at this game, so I, I-, I don't have the, uh, the thorough historical
1: knowledge that you guys do.
0: Uh, and my, my stack of books that I need to read just keeps growing. Um, (laughs) before we bring this show to a close though, Josh, if people would like to learn more about you or listen to your podcast, where's the best place to find you online?
1: Sure. Um, this always troubles me because I feel like there's so many different places to find me online, but, um, the. The quickest way if you're interested in Werewolf the Podcast is to go to werewolfthepodcast.com, which will bring you to my main website and the Podbean, and you can listen to the podcast there. Um, If you're interested in high-level games and the products we're creating for the Storytellers Vault, you can go to highlevelgames.ca. If you Google high-level games, we're the first thing that comes up, so you can do that as well. Um, If you're interested in coming to the convention with us, that's hlgcon.com. You can find me on Twitter at Podcast Werewolf or um, at HLG underscore corporate. Um, you can also find me at the Inclusive Gaming Network, which is uh, a project that I administer on Facebook and on Twitter. And um, so if you look for Inclusive Gaming Network, you should be able to find me. And um, if you go to the Storyteller's Vault, um, you can look up Joshua Heath, and you can find all of the different things that I've written. We've got 30 products on the vault now. Um, I'm working on some, some werewolf stuff, um, working on um, some mage things that are potentially coming out. Um, but most of the things that are on there right now are vampire related and one werewolf product. So there's some, some interesting stuff there if you wanna check it out.
0: Fantastic. Oh, and I forgot to mention the top of the show. I have to thank you once again for uh, providing the name for the show, because when I started the podcast, I'm like, what am I going to call it? And I went through all these like really like convoluted names and you suggested, why don't you just do major the podcast? I'm like, duh. So obvious. <laughs> so thank you for that.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Um, I, it, it. When I was putting mine together, I was like, I want to create the most obvious name that I can. And when you were like, Hey, I want to do a mage. When I was like, Hey man, Maybe just have it be super obvious because then you, from, an, from a search engine standpoint, people are going to find it more likely.
0: Yeah. Thanks again. So um, I'm going to be heading out to Comic-Con here in San Diego. Uh, please join us again next week. Uh, Panos Viscordis is going to join us to talk about his chronicle. It's called the R1 Chronicles, The Vile Nature of an Ascension War. You can find us online at magethepodcast.com or on Twitter at magethepodcast, of course. And you can also check out our Twitter, Mage Chronicle. Just follow hashtag MTRPG. That's Mage Twitter, MTRPG. Subscribe to Mage the Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and now on the TuneIn app. And hey, please leave a review. It uh, would really help us out a lot uh, because it will help other people who like Mage and role-playing games to find the podcast. So for Josh Heath, I'm Joseph. Thanks for listening to Mage the Podcast. See you next week.